We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners but not betting on them? That's why you go to MyBookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with MyBookie. Did you know that you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, one word. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We are no longer joined by Sasha. Want to give her a quick shout out. She got hired by The Athletic to help with their podcast production team. They're launching a few new podcasts and uh, she's going to be joining them. So uh, really, really happy for her um, and, and want to thank her for all of the help that she gave us over her time with the pod. We're going to be keeping it in the family and uh, and Jeannie is going to be handling that, uh, the production responsibilities going forward. And we've got a really fun show for you guys today. Um, we're winding down in the off season and we wanted to do kind of a throwback episode. We want to talk about our our favorite Lakers memories. We're hoping that this season has some new ones to be created, but we want to talk about some of the, you know, the best moments as a Laker fan. Now, as a Laker fan, the some of the best moments in NBA history and some of the most iconic moments are Laker moments. 
we want to go a little more deep cut with this. And so we're not going to talk about, you know, game seven of the 2000 Western Conference Finals and the Shaq to Kobe lob. Uh, Probably not going to get into game seven of the 2010 NBA Finals or Robert Ory's buzzer beater in game four of the 2002 Western Conference Finals. Some of these really iconic moments in NBA history. Uh, I would even add like Magic Johnson's baby hook. Right, his baby hook, yeah. Or, geez, man, like Jerry West's like three-quarter court shot. Mm Mm-hmm. Right to tie the game in, um, I can't remember what year the finals out was. But. I think it was 63 or so, uh, and neither of us were around for that, but that is one of those moments that, you know, spans the time. Uh, you know, it, there was a timeless type plays and shots and games. Uh, we're very lucky as Laker fans to be able to do this, right? To be able to be like, oh, we're not going to talk about those. They're talked about maybe a little bit too much. Um, and kind of go into some deeper cuts. I think it's important as Laker fans and in the position that we're in to kind of keep some memories alive. And if you're uh, a little bit younger and weren't around for some of these, then maybe hearing these for the first time or maybe hearing them in a slightly different way. So we're going to go sort of chronologically. I'm, I'm going to start out um, because this play was... Uh, really one of the first plays that made me just really connect with basketball. All right, so so let's let's paint the scene here. It's game 6 of the 1987 finals. I am 6 years old, about to be 7 in a couple months. The Lakers were up 3 to 2 in a series against the Celtics. They had finally conquered the Celtics 2 years before with that baby skyhook from Magic Johnson in 1985, finally beating the Celtics after losing to them over and over again over the course of years with those Jerry West and Elgin Baylor teams. So it's 87, which is, I think most people consider to be the best of the Showtime teams. Lakers are up 3-2, it's game six, and they're at home at the in the form. It's the third quarter, they're about 10 minutes left in the third, and it's close game. The Celtics are up by one. Uh, the Celtics threw a, a pass into one of the great low post players of all time in Kevin McHale, and the Lakers doubled down on him. Kevin McHale throws a bounce pass to the, he's trying to get it to the late, great Dennis Johnson, but James Worthy jumps the passing lane and tips it away, but he tips it kind of hard, right, and the ball starts heading toward out of bounds, and Worthy just books it toward the sideline, right, trying to get it before it goes out of bounds, and he gets it just by the, you know, by his fingernails, taps it back into magic, and dives and goes sprawling along the sidelines, Magic has a one-on-nothing fast break, dunks it. Place goes nuts. The form and it's great to watch the re. One of the the fun things we're gonna do with this podcast is the uh, LFR Twitter account. It's at LFR Pod is gonna be tweeting out some of these clips that are accompanying these great memories that we're talking about. And it, it, you know they pan to the crowd, and there's a guy with like this awful like orange brown tan and the this like 1980s mullet and this like awful shirt it's just this very 80s type of scene right where everyone's going nuts and that play was uh really catapulted the Lakers to the win in that decisive game six where, uh, you know, it was a close game for most of that game. And then they ended up winning by 13. So they really pulled away in the second half. Now, again, I was six years old at this time. And that's the first time I was old enough to like, I remembered uh, uh, Magic's baby hook, but I didn't quite 
you know, you're not quite old enough to understand what's going on. I was four years old at the time. This was a play where I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. And one of, you know, the great things about sports is when your team has one of those moments and just that adrenaline rush and you feel like you can conquer the world, right? That was my first at age six, that my first experience with that was James Worthy diving out of bounds and just sliding, you know, 15, 20 feet after doing so. And I I, bro, I <laughs> I was a little kid. I remember distinctly in our living room, we had this little like oval-shaped coffee table. My little brother still has this coffee table in his living room, by the way. This coffee table is like 35 years old. And I used to bounce like a Nerf ball off of it and dive onto the couch while swatting the ball away, pretending I was James Worthy, like completely crashing into my couch and, you know, destroying my living room and getting yelled at by my mom and whatnot. And or Or recess where we'd play basketball. I thought saving the ball from going out of bounds, I'm talking first, second grade here, was the coolest thing you could do on a basketball court. And all that goes back to James Worthy. I, I actually had a chance to tell James an abbreviated version of this story at the Spectrum Bloggers Night a couple of uh, years ago. And he was very amused by it. He's like, oh, were you at the game? And I, I think I depressed him a little bit by being like, no, man, I was like six. And uh, but but <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but, you're old, James Worthy. Yeah, exactly. That was exactly, he was like, oh, yeah, that was a while back, wasn't it? Um, But that was the first, like, raw moment, right, of being a Laker fan where I was old enough to really get it. What what do you remember about that play? So that play was actually going to be on my list, but it got moved down a little bit for a couple of other um, memories that, that I have. The thing that always stood out to me was, A, it was against the Celtics, right? And, Mm -hmm. and... Just sort of, I was a little bit older than you at that time, just by a couple of years, but those games always, the intensity for those games, and maybe this is nostalgia, or maybe it was just us being kids, right? But those games just seemed like they really were life or death, right? And yeah. and so to see James Worthy just sort of race as fast as he could and worthy kind kind of had that interesting gait right like when he was in a full-on sprint like he like like he really did sort sort of look like he was like galloping out there and with that burst he'd do it a lot too on breakaway dunks where, where he'd do sort of that statue of liberty dunk that well that he was famous for and he and he had those huge hands yes. right that's how he was able to just like palm it and I, I i bet if he had like average size nba player hands he doesn't get to that ball he doesn't tip it back into play right so all of that plays into that gate that his hands all of that plays into him being able to do that in the first and place so the way that you would practice that in well in your living room i just remember as as a kid like doing that on like slip and slides Right. So because that's exactly what it reminded me of when James Worthy went like sliding across the sideline. Right. So he's just laid out full on. And so whenever we would have a slip and slide, I would just run and dive like one arm extended and acting like I was James Worthy. It, It truly was like just one of those sort of most iconic plays for Lakers fans. Right. Like that's not one that gets played in a bunch of highlight reels. It's not going to make one of those like you remember those 1990s like NBA on NBC telecast where they'd show all of these highlights from like finals past and all these plays that live on in NBA lore. That play 
was never really one that got included in those types of montages. But for Lakers fans, I feel like this is one that that certainly stands out if you're of a certain age. That's right. Uh, so, so now you, my man, let's let's hear your your first one. I think you're along similar. Yeah, lines. no. So I'm also a 19. So, so I'm also. It's also a Celtics memory. Um, it's also 1987, but it's the following season. So it's December 11th, and the Lakers are playing in Boston Garden. They're down by one point, and you you know this is sort of a revenge game, right? So the Lakers had had beaten the Celtics in the finals just in June, like months earlier. And they're in Boston now, so the Celtics are clearly wanting their revenge. The Lakers are inbounding the ball. I think there's two or three seconds left on well on the clock. Um, I can't even recall who's who's inbounding. Maybe it's Byron Scott. Do you remember? Uh I, I don't remember. I remember the play. I remember like Robert Parrish closing out, but and this is also before you had like tenths of a second, yes. right? So it was like you either had three seconds or you had two seconds, right? It was nowhere in between. But I don't remember who the inbound passer was. So it's on the left hand sideline, out out of bounds play. They run a play for Magic Johnson to come across sort of almost like on an Iverson cut, right? Like he's he's coming across the the court from right to left. He catches the ball and in all in one motion, he sort of turns towards towards the basket, jumps off his wrong foot, fires a jumper and banks it in. Clock expires, the buzzer sounds, Lakers win and Magic is just running around like a madman, right? And they have sort of push the Celtics back down, right? Like for for all of the oh, the Celtics they're ready to make their comeback. They're 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 still in this. They're ready to to sort of say we're ready to compete with you guys again and Magic basically shuts it all down with with truly one of the clutch shots I feel like. And this is something and this is a tangent here, but throughout throughout my life Magic Johnson has never really been mentioned as one of like the clutch players in terms of like shot makers. Mm, that's totally in, true. Yeah. Like in his career, but he has he has hit so many buzzer beater or game winners or shots that were just sore, sort of like how the hell did he make that? Um th- this is totally random, but I remember this this play and I can't even remember who they were playing. It might've been the Rockets or it could have been the Clippers. It was someone wearing a red Jersey, I think. And the Lakers were down by three or something like that. Magic catches the ball half at half court and does that sort of half turn court, around yep. heave. <laughs> you know, yes. the shot I'm talking and it's about, just a right? bucket. It, he didn't even bank it in. It just went straight in. Right. And yeah. And it, he just kind of threw it. Right. Yeah. No, that that's totally true. I've never thought of that because we think of magic as the great assist man of all time. Right. But when it came down to it, man, he could put the ball in the basket in some of the biggest moments. So that banked in and it ended up being ruled a two pointer, but it looked like a three. Right. And yeah, it was right on yeah, the line. So, but off the wrong foot, runner banking it in against a closeout 
It was just an amazing yeah, Robert, shot. So he got doubled. Robert Parrish came to double team him, right? And Robert Parrish was one of those classic seven-footers, right? One of the really great shot blockers of his era. And they knew that that was going to Magic Johnson. And yeah, Magic's drifting, drifting to his left, but jumping off of his right foot with Robert Parrish fully extended on a closeout. And it just didn't matter, right? Just And it's a lucky shot, right? He banks it in. But I remember one of my vivid memories of that was... As soon as the ball went in, the whole team sprinted off to the locker room. Right? It w- it wasn't something where it was <laughs> where they, they like hung around. You didn't have replay or anything like that. They, they were very out. much like the Fisher point four shot. Right? Like basically, yes, if we yes. get off the court fast enough, no one can tell us that this didn't count or we lost. <laughs> right? Like we're gonna just take this win with us right off of the floor, and it's it's just one of those memories that will always stick with me. Being a kid. And sort of the, it wasn't a playoff game, but it certainly was a rivalry game. And coming off of the previous year's finals, it just seemed like one of those moments where the Lakers were saying, no, we're still the champs. That was the place where the Lakers separated themselves from the Celtics in the 80s. The Lakers won in 80, 82, and then 84. 85. No, 85. No, 84 was no, the Celtics. No, that's right, 85. Right. 85 was... Yes. Right, and the Celtics won in 81, 84, and 86. 86 was against the Rockets. The Rockets beat the Lakers in the first round, I believe it was that year, in 86, off of this bullcrap. Ralph, Ralph Sampson, reverse volleyball hit the set. Back of, it looked like a volleyball set. On. Like... Yeah, it was just this oh, ridiculous man. shot. I remember, was it Michael Cooper who like fell to the floor like he'd been shot? Like Craig Elo um, did after Jordan shot at the yes. foul line, right? <laughs> That's oh, right. Man. That's right. And so, uh, so the, yeah, the Lakers got got upset in 86. So going into 87, right, That where you know I talked about that James Worthy play in the closeout game, the Lakers went ahead in titles in that decade 4-3. to three. Right. And like and, you said, and it that was, was the rubber match against the Celtics in 87. Right. right? And That's so right. that was That's what right. put Magic up against Bird two to one in their finals matchups, which, you know, Magic rubs into Larry to this day. Absolutely. And so the Lakers win it in 87. Then they have that game against the Celtics, right? And I love how you phrased it, like, pushed the Celtics back down, right? They were still at the height of their powers, the Celtics were, but that team never won again. They didn't win again until 2008. And so... um yeah, they, they push them back down, and then the Lakers repeat, and they're the first team to win back-to-back titles, I think, since the the Bill Russell uh, Celtics. I maybe, maybe the Knicks did it in the early 70s. I may be misremembering, but it had been a long time since any team had repeated. So, um, yeah, that that was one of the great memories, man, just watching Magic fling that up there. Um, that, now let's fast forward a few years um, to probably my favorite non-title winning Lakers team. The very close second is the 2008 Lakers. I really loved that team, even though they did lose to the Celtics in the finals. The 1995 Lakers, we're talking game five of the 95 Western Conference semifinals. Now, the year before, the Lakers had missed the playoffs for the first time in my lifetime. They went 33-49 and in Nick Van Exel's rookie season. This was, you know, when you think about the 
the transition of the Lakers, Magic retiring right before the 91-92 season, you go from a team that's really constructed with veterans that are, you're trying to win a title to, oh crap, we're a seven or eight seed. And so they made the playoffs a couple of years with James Worthy and Byron Scott leading the Sedale way. Three. You had Sam Shout out per- to Sedale 3, Sedale Vlade, three. right? Bro, that 91-92 team, this is off, off topic here, but... <clears throat> One of the big holes in that team that lost to the Jordan Bulls in 91 was they didn't have a backup point guard. They didn't have somebody who could come off of the bench. You had like Tony Smith. You remember him? They had him... <laughs> I haven't thought of him in a while, right? Out of Marquette. And Tony Smith was kind of this combo guard type. And he was fine. He was a good, decent defender. But he wasn't really a rotation. Like, he wasn't a championship caliber backup. Sedell 3 had had some good years in Philly. I th- Maybe he played for the for the Sonics. I but Seattle, I remember him yeah, from I Philly. I think the Lakers got him from Seattle, if I recall. Anyways. You, you, you might be right. It, I remember him from Philly. But either way, he was like a solid, like borderline starter slash backup and they had gotten Sedale 3 they had tried to get Sherman Douglas from Miami with this like poison pill contract that was in, in restricted free agency but they weren't able to get him They but they got Sedale and Sedale was this great Sedale was kind of like Lou Williams before Lou Williams like he was money shooting them pull ups going to the left driving to the right and was just this like solid great point hands guard, right? as a defender too I remember Chick yes. used to call him the thief Yes, the thief. Oh, I haven't thought of that in years. Yes. Um, So, like, getting Sedale, that 91-92 team, who knows if they not, like, look, those are some of the great teams of all time, those Jordan Bulls, right? But I do think the Lakers get back to the finals that year if Magic doesn't retire. So anyway, you've got a couple of years that were unexpected, right? In 92 and 93, there were 7th or 8th seeds, just barely hanging on to the playoffs with Magic's sudden retirement. By 93... um, uh, yeah, by the 93-94 season, that was Van Exel's rookie year, and Van Exel was awesome. You had Doug Christie and Anthony Peeler, Vladi and Eldon there, but they were a 33-win team, and they missed playoffs for the first time in my life. That summer, they trade a first-round pick for Cedric Sabalos. Um and it ends up being a late first, but they end up drafting Michael Finley with that. I always thought that was interesting, who turned on to be a very good player, you know, in the like mid to late 20s. Um, but Sabalos was really good, right? He was an all-star with the Lakers, had a 50-point game, was a 22, 23-point scorer, um, and they draft Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones's rookie year was close to making my list for me because that was just like... That in and of itself was so fun. He was such a a fun rookie. Um, And him dunking on Sean Bradley in in Philadelphia after playing at at Temple, right? Um, But anyway, so this is that season. The Lakers have a 15-game improvement from the year before, and they make the playoffs. They win 48 games. Del Harris wins NBA Coach of the Year. And in the first round, they upset the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Seattle Supersonics, right? This is like a 4-5 matchup. Um, But the Sonics were pretty heavily favored. They had home court advantage. Um, and so in the second round, they face a really, really good San Antonio Spurs team. David Robinson was, I think that was the year he won MVP, and then Olajuwon dusted him in the next round. Yes. But uh, you had Sean Elliott, Dennis Rodman, Avery Johnson, uh, just really solid teams. And so that's who the Lakers are facing in the second round. And the Lakers... 
they were overmatched, right? They did not have the talent that that team had. So it's game five. The Lakers are down three to one, and they're down by three with about 20 seconds left, and San Antonio has the ball. Ball gets swung over to Doc Rivers, who's a, a guard for them, who came off of the bench but would sometimes close games, and he misses a wide-open three. So Sabalos gets the rebound, and I don't think there was a timeout left, but um, so so Sabalos pushes it up court. He hands the ball off to Van Exel in the front court, uh, Van Exel loved to shoot hang dribble, shoot off of hang dribbles, right? Specifically with his right hand, even though he was a lefty. So he had this really herky jerky type of style, and he talk about like, Lou Williams. Freezes. No, yeah, man, yeah. And so, uh, and Avery Johnson was this like undersized five ten, five eleven type point guard. Van Exel wasn't that big, but he, you know, kind of freezes him with his hang dribble, raises up drills it we so we got a tie ball game Lakers get a stop on the other end we go to overtime right so I knew even at the time I knew Lakers are not winning this series this it was just this really fun season I didn't want to end and I wanted them to go down with a fight so I'm going nuts Van Exel hits this three to send it to overtime right so let's fast forward to overtime Lakers are down one. There's about 18 seconds left, and they come out of a timeout. They run a play on the sideline, and it looks like Van Exel is going to post up Avery Johnson, but then uh, then Eldon Campbell comes across the key on a cross screen, right? And they post up Eldon against David Robinson, which in retrospect was not probably the wisest. Like, if we need one bucket for our season, maybe attacking David Robinson isn't the best move. But they post up Eldon, and it's funny, we used to call Eldon Seldom Campbell because he was this super talented guy. Nobody ever frustrated frustrated me like Eldon. Super talented, but would just like show up some of the time and sometimes not. But talent was never Small an hands. issue. So Eldon, yeah, that's true. That's true. Had, had small hands. So, and that may have impacted what happened here. So, Eldon actually beats David Robinson one on one in the post. He steps. Uh, so he's on the on the right block, um, and so the near side sideline side from where the camera is, and he he makes a move middle, and it looks like he's going to shoot like a left handed jump hook uh, over his right shoulder. Robinson bites on that. And Eldon steps through. So he beats him, right? And he goes up with a little right-handed finger roll and it rims out. And it was like right at the rim, right? It was it, it like he should have made that shot. So he misses that. It's one of those situations where everybody's crashing boards, right? So Eddie with that great length, Eddie Jones comes flying in and he tips the ball up in the air. You got like eight bodies in the paint, and the ball kind of caroms around. Vlade tracks the ball down on the perimeter with about four seconds left. And so it's the scramble situation. Del Harris is screaming like a maniac on the side sideline. Timeout, timeout, timeout. But this was before the rules during that time was a player on the court had to be the person who called the timeout. Couldn't be the coach. And so uh, it's the scramble situation. Van Exel throws his hands up in the air. Get the ball to me, right? Hands. Uh, so Vlade passes it out to him. Got like three and a half seconds left. Van Exel hits Avery Johnson with a shoulder fake. Drives to his right. Jumps off of his right foot, just like Magic. But Van Exel's a lefty, right? Hits and and takes this one foot runner for a three. Nothing but net. 
drills it. Lakers up by two, 0.3 seconds left. Lakers going wild. The San, San Antonio crowd, you know, goes silent. Van Exel does a little lap around the, the court. His teammates chasing him, going crazy. They would go on to lose that next game. But like 14-year-old me at that time, you know, I was saying how I practiced, you know, pretending I was James Worthy. This is like, you know, early high school for me. I'm trying to make teams. I'm not that not terribly talented. I know how to play, but you know, I, I just don't have the athleticism to hang. So dumbass me, I've practiced that useless ass shot more times than any other shot I've ever practiced because I was a lefty point guard shooting a one foot runner off of that's like one of my go-to horse shots is that Van Exel runner there. But that was like just one of the great memories, man. And and just that that really exemplified that season of a team. I, I knew it wasn't a title team, but it was just super, super fun team. It, beyond just that that shot and whatever you remember for that, please share. But just what do you remember from that 95 team? Look, man, those those Lake Show teams were just fun teams, man. Like, as Laker fans, I think that we're all sort of accustomed to rooting for a winner and this idea of championship or bust and high expectations and this is one of those one of the few laker teams and i think this is why too when you had said this is one of the non-championship teams you root for that you have the most fond memories about including the 2008 team um i think one of the things that those teams had in common was that they sort of came out of nowhere a little bit right like they just defied expectations to such a high level and played this this really fun brand of basketball like different between those two styles between those those two teams but that two they that 2008 team the way that Powell took to the triangle and and just how invigorated they were by that was great fun and that Lake Show team was exactly the same right just like you said a bunch of just young players like a few veteran guys they they played hard but they had fun Right. And mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I don't know, man, like I was just like I said earlier, I was I'm a couple years old, well, older than you. So I, too, was was in high school and I, too, was a left handed point guard. And so Van Exel was one of those guys who I didn't necessarily model my game after, but I tried to kind of have a similar swagger to him. He played with an enormous amount of confidence. Right. And. I don't know, man. If if you were like a a guy my age and you played pickup ball out on the playground or even mm-hmm. in open gym, and if you didn't make a great play and at least one time come down and like do Nick Van Exel shadow, shadow box, box, right? Then yeah, <laughs> then you and me are not the same kind of person. Like fundamentally, yes. like we're just not the same. And so this was the last team I feel like from basically from that time until Phil Jackson's first departure and Shaq left that the Lakers played without sort of championship expectations, right? Like the next year it was what 96 they get Shaq they they draft Kobe like once they got Shaq the expectations were on that they were going to be a championship level team and then all through then until Shaq left and Phil Jackson retired 
that's what it was again. It was back to sort of that idea that this team should be competing for championships just like the Showtime Lakers did. And I will never forget sort sort of just the 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 pure joy that those Lake Show teams played with without sort of that burden of expectations, right? Like you would like you talked about Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel, but I really liked Anthony Peeler. George George Lynch was a really good role player, and he ended up becoming a mm-hmm. like a really good role player for like the 76ers team that went to the finals. Um, they still had Vlade. They were just a really nice, fun team. That doesn't mean that they didn't frustrate me at times. I had the same frustrations you did with Eldon Campbell. Um, but still, like they were one one of my favorite teams, and and one of the first teams where where I was old enough to really understand that they were playing with a bunch of young guys, right? Like, because when you think about the Showtime Lakers, if you were old enough where you saw the beginning of that run, like Magic Johnson was a 20-year-old rookie. Like James Worthy obviously came out of college as a four-year senior and then he broke his leg early in his career so but he was still like a 23 24 year old like number one overall pick right like all of these guys who the Lakers drafted and came up with whether it's Byron Scott or even like Michael Cooper at the beginning of 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 that run those expectations were already baked in because they already had Kareem right like right this team this these those that sort of lake show era that was just one one of those eras that i think as as a fan um i really cherish personally absolutely man all right what, what you got uh, next on so your list? i'm gonna fast forward to kobe bryant um let's go it, it's funny when we were talking about when we were talking about we were exchanging lists and whatnot both of us had like the same realization of like Holy crap! We got a lot of Kobe on this list. It really speaks to the how much he left his imprint on on the the psyche of Lakers. Also, fans. too, like he's, I was not old enough to see Magic Johnson's entire career, right? And I did not right. see, um, and I really wasn't old enough to really appreciate like all of James Worthy's career, even if I would have like seen pretty much most of it. Um, and every other great Laker player. I don't think any of us got to see all of them, right? But you and I both lived through and saw an entire 20-year career of Kobe Bryant. So there are so many memories that Kobe gave us as a lifelong Laker that are just sort of like embedded in the fabric of our fandom, you know? So so let's get to Kobe. It's 2001. One of the things I will... I always appreciated about Kobe, especially during that three-peat era between him and Shaq, is that he really was a road killer. Um, I always Mm -hmm. thought Shaq, to me, and I don't want to necessarily call Shaq a front-runner, per se, but what I loved (laughs) about Shaq is that Shaq had a great way of sort of tapping into the home crowd, and he really let the home crowd fuel him, right? So he was a showman, right? He was a showman that wanted to, you know, perform for the, you know, favorable. No, crowd. so I'll never forget. Like 
obviously we said that we were going to leave like memories like this off, but the lasting memory for me of Shaq is that alley-oop lob in, in 2000 against the Blazers. Right. And, and mm-hmm. he is so locked in. You see him running around the court and pointing up in well, 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 into the stands. Kobe and teammates are trying to like chest bump him and high five him. And he's not paying attention to any of that. Right. Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's just locked into to the home crowd. And that was Shaq. And if you remember the 2001 playoffs, Shaq destroyed teams at Staples Center. Yeah. He just demolished them. But Kobe was always a guy who I felt like got off more on shutting up the road crowd and playing well mm-hmm. on the road and sort of taking teams' hearts. And 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 so one of my favorite Kobe memories w- was the road performances that, that he provided in the Western Conference semis against the Sacramento Kings and then the Western Conference finals against the Spurs. And he had he had a back-to-back game set, closing out against the Kings, and then game one against the Spurs. And just listen to these numbers, Pete. <laughs> so <laughs> to close out the Kings, conference semis, game four, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Oof. Comes out the next game, game one against the Spurs on the road, mind you. Right. Because remember, Mm -hmm. that was the year Derek Fisher got hurt. The Lakers didn't have home court advantage. I think I I can't even remember what seed they were. Were they the. I think we were three seed. Yeah, I thought they were a two or or a three seed, but they were playing in San Antonio to to start off the series. Uh, The Lakers are clearly rolling. They had swept the first two rounds, but. I, so I wouldn't necessarily say that they were underdogs, right? But they did not have home court court advantage. Kobe goes out game one against the Spurs, 45 points, 10 rebounds. So this is your shooting guard, right? Over two <laughs> games, 93 points, 26 rebounds, and basically kills off one team to eliminate them and sets the tone for the start of the Western Conference Finals like, Oh no, you thought you were going to have something for us. I'm taking your heart the first game of the series. And that to me, like this is a bit of a tangent in here, but every time someone talks about sort of like, oh, Shaq carried Kobe, these are the games that I point to, right? Where the Western Conference finals were essentially the finals every year during that three-peat yeah. era. And Kobe was consistently a killer against every team that the Lakers played in those Western Com- Com- Conference Finals. And, and, and so that historic 2001 playoff run where they go 15-1, these two games specifically stand out to me as just sort of like peak Kobe, even though he's what, like 21, 22 years old? It's amazing. <laughs> just absurd. The, so... You talking about like ripping hearts out? That is my lasting memory from those. Part of what made that that playoff run, especially throughout the West, really special, is they kind of vanquished their biggest rivals back to back to back in order, right? So they started with Portland, right, and that was when I think it was still best out of five at that point. I don't think it the first round it of was, transition it was. 
and and that series ended in Portland with Kobe uh, driving to the rack, drawing a double team from Scottie Pippen, I think, or maybe Pippen was on ball. Either way, kicking the ball out to Ori. Ori hits a corner three, game over, series over. We move on to Sacramento, right? And Sacramento in 2000, I think the Lakers played them in 2000. I remember Sacramento having a series. I don't know if remember if it was against the Lakers or maybe it was against Utah, but I remember like Sacramento was like the we got next team, yes. right? And so the and that was those were fun teams that Peja and Weber and White Vlade Chocolate and Brad Miller, White Chocolate, of course. Later Mike Bibby, right? Um, and so in 2001, by the time that game four rolled around, where Kobe had the 48 and 16, they had ripped the spirit out of that Sacramento Kings team, right? And Kobe was. When we talk about like Kobe's clutchness and things like that, to me, that was always the best element of Kobe's clutchness was he, he was a great white who, if he smelled blood in the water, it was over. It was over. He was going to absolutely step on your throat and just end it. And that was something when you watch that game and when you watch the highlights to that, you see just... A, a team that's broken in terms of the Kings. They had lost that game three. I, I I think that game was maybe that game wasn't close because I remember them just eviscerating teams. But by game four, it was just a formality, and Kobe completely took advantage of that. Then, like you said, going in, in, in to the next series on the road, forty-five and ten. I, I don't know if you remember this, but I don't remember if it was game one or game two. But Kobe had the critical play to win the game. Fisher pulled up. I think it was game two, but I'm not sure. Fisher pulled up from uh, the top of the key to take a pull-up jumper. The Lakers were down one, or maybe it was tied. I don't remember. I think it might have been tied. And Kobe was being defended by Derek Anderson out of Kentucky. Kobe kind of looped around Fisher as the shot was going up. Fisher back rims it, I think. And Kobe soars in the air and gets this ridiculous, like, reach three feet behind his head type of rebound, grabs it, his feet hit the ground, and he immediately goes back up and puts the layup second back jump. in. Yes. To that Just that insane second jump, just like bounce, bounce type of thing, right? And to put, and I think that was game two. And like you said, they didn't open up with home court advantage. So that put them up. Two zero. I I don't think it was game one. Someone correct me uh, in in the comments tomorrow when we release this if I'm wrong about that. But after that game two, it was like, oh yeah, this is over. And because it was going back to L.A., Lakers had won. You know, I I think by the time that had happened, they'd won like 16 games in a row going back to the because they ended the regular season on like an eight game winning yeah. streak. So they were just rolling at that point and so that put back really that was the dagger in the hearts of the Spurs and then they just whooped them in in game three and game four and it was over so yeah those really uh you know stand out to me as the uh you know quintessential Kobe you know being that assassin on the road um before we continue this is super fun uh let's let's get a word from our sponsors and we'll get back to our list There are countless ways to keep up on what's happening in the world of sports, but how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day? Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. 
Now coming to the stage is Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning, you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and NFL to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The emailed newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. Go to sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in five minutes in the elevator or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the cool person sharing the amazing link with your friends and coworkers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free, curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for the Axios Sports Newsletter for free at sports.axios.com. Subscribe to feel more informed without spending time clicking through websites, apps, and social media platforms. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. All right, so next on the list, I'm, I'm into my Kobe territory as well, but I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Game four of the 2009 finals. Uh, this is probably my favorite sequence of Kobe's career. Uh, that, that series was a lot closer than people remember. Lakers did close it out in five, but there was, you know, remember the Courtney Lee blown layup in game two that would have won it for them, uh, that, you know, would have tied the game, at, at, tied the series at one. Uh, Lakers get dusted in game three to make it a two to one series in favor of the Lakers. So game four turns into one of those critical games, right, where if, you know, it's we really have ourselves a series if Orlando wins or the Lakers pull away. It's the you know one of those pivotal games, and so Orlando's up five, and there's about forty seconds left. Uh, Kobe chases Rashard Lewis off the three point line, and Trevor Ariza rotates over to contest like a pull up elbow jumper from Lewis, which he misses. Derek Fisher gets the rebound with about 38 seconds left, and he outlets to Kobe. And this is, to me, one of the brilliant plays of Kobe's career. So again, we got about 38 seconds left. Lakers have the ball, down five. So where does Kobe's mind go? He's thinking, we have to get a two-for-one here. So he pushes the pace. He Ariza runs with him, but he's along the other sideline, you know, across the court. And it's so it's this, like, two-on-four type of fast break. But Kobe knows that he's got to push it. So he's driving up the right sideline. Jameer Nelson slides over to cut him off. So Kobe plants his right foot, spins toward the middle. And he's kind of off balance, and Dwight Howard has come over to contest it. So even if he wanted to get a shot, it wasn't the type of play where Kobe could plant his other foot and really elevate. So Dwight would have blocked that if Kobe would have taken the shot. So Kobe, you know, all in one motion, spins middle, jumps as high as he could with minimal elevation. Dwight's contesting it. He sees pow as a trailer and flips it over his shoulder to Powell for a dunk. Lakers down three, right? Brilliant play. And and so now there's about 31 seconds left. Lakers, he, he got them that two for one. So on the next play, Orlando's looking to run some clock, right? Run run down the clock. And, and it ends in the last, you know, seven, eight seconds of the possession with a pick and roll between Hito Turkoglu and Dwight. And on the weak side, you've got Kobe and Derek Fisher defending their men. Kobe thinks that Fisher is the guy who's supposed to tag on Dwight, and Fisher thinks that Kobe's the guy who's supposed to tag on Dwight, so neither of them do it. So Dwight rolls to the rim, and he's alone. Powell's, you know, hedging a little bit higher. It's not Powell's fault on this. Um, It's just a miscommunication. So the ball gets entered into Dwight. I still, to this day, don't know how Kobe does this. Kobe 
recognizes, oh crap, you know, this is going to be a dunk with, you know, 10 seconds left in the game or whatever, he crashes down and pretty much tackles Dwight to make sure that he doesn't get this dunk, doesn't allow it to be an and one or anything like that. So Lakers are down three still, though, and there's, I think, 10, 11 seconds left on the clock. Dwight misses both free throws. So Lakers got a shot now. And so down three, the Lakers choose, which I think was a smart move by Phil, to go full court rather than advance the ball off of that second missed free throw to to half court. Well, Orlando goes into full court pressure and they double Kobe in the backcourt 90 feet away from the hoop. And in one of the more mature moves of Kobe's career, Kobe just kicks it out, just kicks it ahead to Trevor Ariza. And then Ariza skips the ball across court to Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher brings the ball up the right-hand side, much like that Nick Van Exel three to send the game into overtime in in game five of the 95 Western Conference semis. Fisher brings the ball up in his left hand, though. Van Exel had it in his right also defended by a short point guard in Jameer Nelson. And Fisher sees where he's at, puts him on his heels, and just raises up and drills it, right? So we've got a tie game, you know, great comeback in his last 40 seconds. Everybody did their job. And I loved how Kobe just, like, made the right play rather than trying to dribble through those two guys. Lakers end up winning in overtime on another, you know, uh, Jameer Nelson doubles down on Kobe in the pinch post. Kobe kind of delivers an elbow as he kicks it out to fish at the top of the key. He drills that that three to kind of ice the game, back pedals and gives that little, yes. that smile. Remember that yes. grin and that like, if you don't know, you better ask somebody. This is what I do type of look. And uh, Lakers win that, you know, that really pivotal game four. And so, you know, it was a great game. But to me, that was that's probably my favorite, you know, 45 second stretch of of Kobe's career. What do you what do you remember about that? No, just just everything about just everything about the circumstance and making the right play that entire stretch, right? Like, I think it's great the way that you're zooming in here to sort of give us the details of what was going on in those moments. But I always like to zoom out, right? And so remember a year before the Lakers had just lost to the Celtics in the finals, right? They, I remember one of the first pieces I wrote at Forum Blue and Gold was sort of this idea about whether or not the Lakers were tough enough coming off of that Celtic series, right? Like, because that was really the narrative about them, that the Celtics, those KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, like even Rondo, Perk, Celtics had sort of punched them in the mouth and the Lakers just didn't have enough for them. And so now you fast forward a whole regular season and now they're in the finals and this truly is like, sort of a gut check moment, just like you said. Mm -hmm. And the Lakers, I feel like, really showed their experience and their pedigree in those moments where they looked like the team that knew how to win and Orlando looked like the team that just wasn't ready. And that's one of the things that I'll remember most about that sequence that you just described there is... I don't think you'll ever really what like 
get good answers about like why was Janeer Nelson playing so far off? Like, like uh-huh. why did Orlando sort of <laughs> like like offer a token double team to Kobe? Like, it's not even like they gave him a hard trap, right? Like they showed him a double with enough space for him to still sort of see the whole court and make that pass pass ahead. Um even Nelson's well it was like it was Jameer Nelson's like 5'11 like even it doesn't matter right like Kobe just passes over the top of that yeah I always wondered that too what the hell were they thinking? like there were so many things that the magic just did that they just didn't show that they were ready while Kobe I feel like just really channeled all of that and it's cliche as hell to say this and i'm sure if you're not a lakers fan and you're listening to to this pod and you're like oh there they go again right but there is something about championship experience and understanding the the plays that need to get made in order to actually win the game and kobe catches a lot of grief and some of it well earned for like the shot attempts and trying to do too much in certain moments, but I don't think he gets enough credit over the course of his career for actually making the right play. Like the play that's actually going to win you the game that isn't necessarily the highlight reel shot with a defender closing down on him. You know what I mean? Like almost all of the highlights from this series, if, if, if if you ever watch them are going to be like oh remember that that swooping play across the lane where Kobe double clutches against Dwight and then hits that shot or all of the pull up jumpers with with Michael Petris like all up in in his jersey those are the highlights that i think most fans remember but for me like you the two biggest plays, like three of the biggest plays that series were passes, right? It's it's mm-hmm, Kobe's yep. pass ahead out of the double team. It's that Kobe flip over the head to Powell for that dunk. And it's that Kobe pass out to Fisher to win that game with on well, well on the three-pointer when Jameer Nelson came to double team him. And those are all just the right basketball play. And and they're all passes and i've and i've said this a bunch over the years but some of kobe's most iconic plays are actually passes the lob to shack those 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 mm. three passes that we just talked talked about the pass to artest in game 7 yeah. right against mm-hmm. the celtics like those are things that sort of get swept under the rug in the legacy of kobe but but he's some of his most important plays have have been passes to teammates, right? And and so I'm glad that you highlighted these plays right here. Be be just just because it really was just a superb sequence that that really had little to do with what he's best known for. A- absolutely, and he doesn't like you said he doesn't get enough credit for those aspects of the game. Like th- those five championships he won didn't happen by accident, and he was not just a passenger on on those. Like he, you know that. 
it's hard, man. It's hard to to do what he did. And I don't know, I will always carry that mantle of appreciation of all of the little details, even, you know, in the six for 24 game in game seven of 2010, where he gets 15 rebounds, goes to the line 15 times, gets the Celtics in the penalty with like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Just all these little things, man. There's that's the beauty of basketball is there's more than one way to do it. And Kobe was one of the greats at understanding like if one route is blocked then there are other avenues that you can know that's right so all right man what's a no i've so i've got a, a kobe moment too and i'm gonna go to the next year western conference finals game six against the suns so i'm not gonna do a lot of setup here and i'm hoping the lfr pod Twitter feed will just tweet out this link tomorrow because every once in a while <laughs> I actually just go back to YouTube and just watch these highlights. Game six, when Kobe closed out the Suns, and folks forget sort of the hated Suns, right? Like the Suns mm-hmm. were the team that had vanquished the Lakers in the playoffs when Phil Jackson had just come back, the the like Kwame smush parker sons like the lakers had some moments against them but they'll also always be remembered for sort of like being up 3-1 and not being able to close close them out and then losing the the following year as well so the suns had made sort of this improbable run to the western conference finals in two two in 2010 i think sean marion was still on that team Mm -hmm. steve nash um i think jared dudley was on that team Possibly, I don't. I don't remember. Those Alvin yes, Gentry Alvin was Gentry the coach was, was the coach, and I remember that Alvin Gentry was the coach because <laughs> because after Kobe hit his final dagger in a in a run of just amazing shot making from Kobe, and these aren't like the analytics friendly shots, right? These are twenty one foot two point shots with a yeah. def- after two yeah. or three pump fakes and the defender is all up in in this grill. Grant Hill was on that team too by the way. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Co- after the final one that's the sort of like Alvin Gentry is calling timeout and Kobe sort of slaps him right right on the behind like, "Yep, I just got you." And Alvin couldn't do anything but sort of just look <laughs> at him with like sort sort of like, "You're a bad MFer." And and sort of right. just smile at him, you know, like, like, look what you just done did to my team. We have no answers for you. And that may not have been like peak Kobe, but it's, it's one of the versions of Kobe that I sort of appreciated the most, right? Like he, he still had great athleticism. He was obviously a super smart smart player but he was also already a player who was sort of already starting to get by on like guile and just sort of cunning right like like Mm -hmm. he had entered sort of i don't know if kobe had like four or five phases of of his career this was probably like phase three entering phase four right and and to see him sort sort of like do it one more time to get his team in to the finals to ultimately face the Celtics. That was just just a great performance, and and I I don't know, just that game will always stick 
with me. I'm not sure about you, but like, what do you remember about that game? No, he just hit, he was just so cold-blooded down the stretch of that game, right? Like you said, these were not analytics-friendly shots. These, this was just a different era of basketball. Even though it's less than 10 years ago, it was just, the whole approach to basketball was different. And you had Grant Hill defending him on a lot of those possessions and defending him well, right? And it was just that, it was just that, like, these are the things that the titans of the game do and the mortals are generally helpless to stop it like when they're now you can take down the titans lord knows kobe had his failures throughout his career but when they have it when they have it going there are just certain things that you just sit back and just in awe and that is my lasting visual of that game and that series is alvin gentry the look on his face like the are you freaking kidding me you hit that because it was just the most difficult shots and kobe you know swatted him on the butt like you said and then remember he went back to the bench flying like a yes. jet plane yes. right just like his arms out just, and uh, yeah no that was just that was a, a cold dude right there so uh it's staying in that theme i i don't have as many details on this one because they're not as important but it's a uh, january 31st 2007 lakers are playing at Boston. They're up about 11, 120 left in the game. The game's essentially over, right? And Kobe has 40 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, had a great game, has the ball at the top of the key, a little couple feet to the right, so he's in the slot. And I, I, I don't remember who was defending him, but he's in triple threat. And Kobe used to hit these threes, man, where he would be he'd be flat-footed, and a couple of the shots in that Phoenix game were like this too, right? And he'd be flat-footed, staring you right in the eye, and he'd just raise up from 25. He does that, the contest is great, defender reads it perfectly, is all over him, raises up, whop, and puts him up 14. It didn't. The shot didn't have any impact on the outcome of the game, but he had just been so bad, like bad in a good way, for the rest of that game, that shot was just... the culmination of that right and you start getting mvp chance for kobe bryant in boston that is one of the most gratifying moments if i i talk about it sometimes on this show i talk about it a lot on locked on but i have not just a oh i i hate the celtics because i'm supposed to and i'm a laker fan i i have i really hate the celtics they're one of the organizations in all of life that i despise the most i have a laundry list of reasons for that but hearing boston Garden, now mind you these are not celtics fans chanting mvp for kobe this is a laker takeover and as laker fans we know this we've seen this happen in atlanta and in other cities across the nba where a lot of laker fans show up and it's like a laker home game but to do that in boston and like the the celtics had been bad to you know first second round playoff team to they were lottery team that year i believe um for long enough to where the lakers could actually take over Boston and like because that never that had never happened in LA I, I long as I live <laughs> that won't won't happen in LA uh that was just so tremendously gratifying as kind of you know how you said the magic shot like pushed the Celtics back down this was that in a different way right like this was that in a like you aren't the big bad Celtics anymore you're just another team and that's just one of the one of my favorite moments yeah no what What's interesting about that period is sort of both teams or both franchises sort of being at these low points, right? The Celtics had been in sort of a prolonged low point 
um, which I think all Lakers fans took took joy in. But for the Lakers, this was what, like six, seven months before the ship his ass out comments by mm-hmm. by co Kobe Bryant and really about five or six months before the Celtics remade their franchise by trading for Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, right? And so Yeah, you would have never guessed they would have been a won the NBA. No, title or next you year would have never that guessed team. that both of those teams would play in the finals like like what, fifteen, sixteen months later? Right? That's true. So yeah. It it's, yeah. it was a very interesting point in the Lakers and Celtics like franchise his history and like the rivalry, right? Because in in essence, this game did not matter in like the big picture for the league landscape or anything like that. But moments like these will always matter to Lakers and Celtics fans. Mm-hmm. Right. And That's so right. regardless, just like you said, you'll you'll never see like Lakers fans will will pay their proper respect to the legends of the game. Right. Like they will applaud Larry Bird if it's his last time playing at the forum or right. things like that. They are never going like remember when Isaiah Thomas was like at his peak and for those Celtics mm-hmm. teams or Paul Pierce, you never would have seen Lakers no. like a, a Celtic Absolutely takeover not. of Staples Center so they could chant MVP for a Celtic. It never would have happened. And so this memory is is <laughs> just great. I'm like I'm glad that this made your list. <laughs> Absolutely, it was just it was just too delicious as a Laker fan for for not to. All right, man, so what do you got? Next? I'm going back to 2001. I'm going back to the playoffs, but I'm bringing up a guy who we haven't talked about much yet. Our buddy Shaquille O'Neal. So mm-hmm. I'm going to the finals and just Shaq murdering the 76ers. So for all the talk that I said earlier about Kobe sort of being this elite player in like the Western Conference playoffs that season, I feel like Shaq always saved his best in the playoffs for the finals. Like he just did. Mm-hmm. And the 76ers yes. were no exception. He just, just, Shaq just destroyed them. And when I think about the 2001 playoffs and I think about Shaq and the 76ers, I just think of, Dikembe Mutombo and like Matt Geiger <laughs> just <laughs> getting absolutely destroyed. And Mutombo was, you know, defensive player of the year. If not that season, then like the season yeah, before. He, he, I'm pretty yeah, sure it was he that was year. was still basically considered one of, if not the elite defenders in the entire league. And Shaq... There is a play that I will always remember where Shaq would sort of go into that crouch when he would power dribble in the, well, well, into the lane and sort of dip his shoulder and extend that chicken wing elbow in well, 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 into a guy. And there was a sequence where he did that to Matumbo and Matumbo literally got like lifted off of the ground. Before she, and Motumbo was a big dude, man. He was a big guy. And Shaq just sort of like he really did ragdoll him that entire series. <laughs> it, it, and 
that was just Shaq at his absolute pinnacle, really. And yeah, fans who are like coming up in like today's game, right? If you're like a 12 or 13 or 14 year old, like the same age that you were talking about when you're watching like those, mm-hmm. those Lake Show teams and all that you've really seen in your like basketball watching life of being a fan, even if you've, you've been a fan since you were like seven or eight years old, what you've mostly seen is like, oh, like LeBron James or, or Steph Curry and like now today's players like Durant and Harden and all of these guys. I don't think anyone who actually did not see Shaq play can really have an appreciation for just how destructive he was to opposing defenses and big men in general. There were just a ton of players, not like Matumbo, who was, you know, like Matumbo's a Hall of Famer. I'm I'm mm-hmm. like I'm talking about like the Matt Geigers, the Todd McCullough's, the the <laughs> uh-huh. uh, like you can rattle them off on and on and on. Jerome James types, like all of these guys. A lot of those guys were in the league simply because a player like Shaq existed. Jim McElvain signed a I think seven year, $35 million contract, which was a lot of money at that time, or maybe five years and 35, specifically to defend Shaquille O'Neal for the Seattle Supersonics. That's why they were in the league, man. And like making big time money just to do no, that. I remember like, do you remember when the Thunder traded for Kendrick Perkins? Like, like this wasn't for Shaq, right? <laughs> but it was to uh-huh. deal with like size, the Lakers size specifically, yep. like like Bynum the Bynum and Powell, and Powell yeah. front court. And so the Nets, so the Lakers played the Nets in the finals the next year. What did the Nets do? The Nets traded for guess who? Dikembe Mutombo, who Shaq had just destroyed in the finals the year before. But one of the reasons why they got him is that in theory, Matumbo was one of the few players who could actually like defend Shaq, even though these playoffs against Philly showed that he just really couldn't. Right. But that was the no win proposition of playing against a prime Shaquille O'Neal is that even hall of fame defensive player of the year level guys were just sort of like strewn aside like they were nothing and to me that is how i will almost always remember shaq's tenure with with the lakers is is him like dismembering guys who were literally like <laughs> great players of their era shaq Shaq is not the greatest player to ever play. If he had more of a motor and a dedication to the game, we'd be having a conversation on who the second best player was because it would have been Shaq. But I would argue that Shaq's peak is good as anyone. I put Shaq's peak up against LeBron, against Jordan, against, uh, the, like against Kareem, the, against like Wilt, mm-hmm. right? Like Wilt. I, like the numbers aren't the same, right? The eras are not the same, but. I always compare players like that against their contemporaries, right? And and how dominant were you against the guys who who are your peers? And Shaq at his best, at his absolute best, he was better than everyone. He may not have had the longevity or 
or like the um, prolonged dominance of someone like a Tim Duncan, right, or or a Kareem. But he was his his peak rivaled theirs for sure. Bro, no, 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 no. Tim Duncan could not hold peak Shaquille O'Neal's jockstrap. Shaq would F that dude up. That's one of the things people forget. And look, Duncan's one of the all-timers. I'm not meaning to disrespect him. Shaq would mess that dude up. Like, we were talking about the 2001 playoffs in that four-game series. Like, bro, it was not even close. Peak Shaq and peak Duncan. The the argument for Duncan is longevity. He was, he could not And defense, and defense. Like, I'm going to give Duncan his credit there and defense. He, Duncan truly was one of the great defensive players of all time, in my opinion. He was one of the great and 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 Shaq, but down the in the last five minutes of games, like Shaq didn't always bring it defensively, but like Duncan couldn't even get a shot up yeah. on Shaq. Shaq would swat that crap into the third row, like he could not even get a shot up. So yeah, Shaq, it, it, it's funny. I have a complicated relationship with Shaq because I'm very much attracted to the aspect of Kobe that's really driven and really trying to, you know, get the best out of himself. Um, and Shaq wasn't like that. And I was, it's funny. I was talking to Jeannie earlier about like Shaq kind of had this bully aspect sure. to him that was fun, but it was also kind of like, eh, it's not great sometimes. I, like it would rub me the wrong, you know, when he's, you know, picking on the Kings or anything. that. I loved that. Don't get me wrong. But off the court, he could be kind of a jerk sometimes. So I have a complicated relationship with how I feel about Shaq all these years later. And it probably is reflected on a list of my favorite memories like this. But at the end of the day, man, nobody, nobody hangs with, with peak Shaq. You know, there are only a couple of people in NBA history that are even worthy of being in the conversation. He was so good. So, he was so good. He was. Absolutely. All right, I got one more. Um, this is the best performance I've ever seen live in any sport. Uh, we all remember Kobe's 81-point game, uh, but his second highest scoring game of all time was in an overtime win against the Portland Trailblazers. And he scored 65 points on a team that was really kind of dead in the water toward the end of that game. He brought them back, won the game in overtime. This game was, you know, again, the best game I've ever seen, performance I've ever seen live. So I was at Staples for this game. This is March of 2007. And um, what I loved about this game is it was the, it was triple threat pull up Kobe at his best, right? So you talked about Kobe having maybe four or five phases to his career. And this is probably squarely in phase three or so. But this is when he's starting to get to the, not necessarily dunking on everyone and, you know, maybe losing some of the athleticism. He's in his like 11th year at this point, but he had so honed his scoring ability that just like it was the peak of like a guy working on his game, like he had mastered basketball and the individual skills involved in basketball. And so, so many of those 65 points were pull up threes or triple threat rip through type stuff, you know, and that the the shot this is the best shot i've ever seen because it was not it wasn't luck right there was no as much as i love the van exel runner off of one foot it's probably not a shot he hits too many times if he takes it a hundred times right this shot that kobe hit he had sent it to overtime he had scored like the last 12 points of the game or something ridiculous to send the game to ot he 
comes off of a cross screen um, from the left side of the court to the right side. Mo Evans set a cross, cross screen for him. Um, or, uh, yeah, from left side to right side. He catches it just inside the three-point line, being defended by Brandon Roy, one of the sad stories. I, I would have loved to see Brandon Roy's full career. Anyway, Brandon Roy was a great player at the time. He's defending Kobe. LaMarcus Aldridge comes over to double. And so Kobe spins, he front pivots towards the baseline, but Roy cuts him off. And without missing a beat, Kobe picks up his dribble, pivots back the other way in the corner, you know, spinning toward the middle and just drills this corner three. My description doesn't do it justice because just the amount of skill that it takes to get that shot up on balance and hit it over an Aldridge contest, it it just, to this day, it remains the best shot I've ever seen because it's that culmination of just a couple of decades of work from this guy to get to that point of being that skilled to be able to make that shot. And so that game, I, do you remember that game, Darius? Because that, that's one of my favorite Kobe games, just because it's just an illustration of that. I remember that skill. shot. It's in a bunch of highlight reels. Like, the the thing that I... The thing that I... that. I think most about Kobe in the moments that you described is is that he was both fundamentally sound but innovative and creative at the same time, right? Yeah. And yeah. And so that those fundamentals, the footwork, the pivots, like the rip throughs, every like the the really simple sort sort of like fundamental basic ball handling stuff that he had in his bag served as a foundation it was the canvas right but then he had he had an artist's mind and touch within how he could um express himself on the basketball court in order to entertain in order to be successful in order to get results right so the play that you're describing where he sort of like pivots and then tries tries to drive and then he's cut off so he reverse pivots again he feels that he has space and just elevates and he you almost feel like he's shooting it blind you know because mm-hmm. almost like it's an right, empty gym, be, because right? like you, he really can't have his bearings fully, you feel like, when he's elevating to shoot that shot. And, th- bro, bro, let, let me jump in. He picked up his dribble. He's facing the yes. crowd toward the sideline when he picked up his dribble. So, yeah, there's no way. He did not have his eyes on the basket, and there's no way he had no, his bearings. Like, if he has no point of reference, even, for where the hoop is. Except for where his feet are <laughs> on the court, and in order to even see that, he has to be looking down. You so yeah. imagine going from that position to a shooting position, and then to hit the shot as well. It, it's it's really ridiculous. It's it's like if you watch a highlight reel of of Kobe, and there's that play he had against. I think the first time he busted it out was against the Knicks, but he later used it several times, including against the Nuggets and and multiple other teams, but where he would sort of hard right-hand dribble to to his right, 
pump fake and then get the guy, get the defender in the air and then reverse pivot with a spin before he went into his jump shot. And it's like the fundamentals need to be there in order to be able to execute a move like that, right? Like keeping your pivot foot planted and 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 having balance and then the coordination to be able to to reverse pivot and 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 spin out and then elevate to to shoot a jumper, but how creative do you have to be to have that sort of in your bag of moves and this isn't practice or you talked about earlier like oh this is like one of my go-to horse moves like this isn't horse man like this is an actual nba game and this guy is busting this out like it's nothing (laughs) you you know and he's doing it off of instinct it's it's those types of plays that i feel like it it's honestly it's it's why Kobe has stands. Like, I'm being 100% mm-hmm. real with that, right? Because there have been a bunch of players who have championships and everything else. But the moments that keep fans sort of coming back to the well time and time again isn't just a success. It's it's sort of those Russell Crowe and Gladiator moments, right? Like, are you not entertained? And, and he gave that to fans fans over and over and over again through through not only just his competitive competitiveness but through his creativity so i'm so happy that you brought up this game specifically and and highlighted that shot b because to 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 me it's like sort of the epitome of what he was as both a killer and as just a shot maker and as an entertainer as for a basketball player Beautifully said, man. All right, we got um, we got one more. Uh, so I got me. a Kobe got? one again. I told you, man. Like too many Kobe moments, I guess. Really for for this list. But do you remember that string of like game winners slash go ahead shots that he hit in two thousand nine, two thousand ten? <laughs> so yeah, it was like every night so at one point. <laughs> he had six that season. Um, I think the most memorable one was probably that running bank shot that he hit against the heat where he came from right side of the court going left um and after the game he used that anecdote about like riding his bike and throwing rocks and trying to hit a pole and how his momentum just like when he was on a bike when he was a kid his momentum was taking him past the pole and so he knew he had to throw it a little bit behind the pole because his momentum was going to take <laughs> take him forward well he did the same thing with that buzzer beater against the heat and then Dwayne Wade had that great contest against him and and he still knocked well well knocked it down but he hit one against the heat he hit one against the bucks he hit one against the kings all three of those were like pure buzzer beaters right so zero time on the clock and so those are game winners and then he hit go ahead shots in like the final 10 seconds against the Celtics Grizzlies and Raptors and so that's essentially six game winners in a single season 2009 2010 then they go on to win the championship that well well that year and so you, you you know there have been long conversations and debates about how close how clutch Kobe Bryant is as as a player, but whenever there's there's debate, there's highlight reels like these, 
right? That I know is going to get tweet, tweeted out tomorrow where here he is just hitting shot after shot after shot in clutch moments, in high pressure moments where literally the game is on the line and he's coming through for for the Lakers. My favorite call on one of these is actually the the game against the Bucks where it's the Bucks feed. The Bucks right yes. where <laughs> if and they don't show this in 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 the clip, but Kobe had actually missed a game winner at the end of regulation. Um I think he missed it just long. It was like a foul line jumper and right right and I that went into overtime. That. So the game's in overtime, very similar situation, except I believe it's like an open court sort sort of like um, delayed break sort sort of play. And Kobe's bringing the ball up, dribbles into a post up at like the left elbow, turns and shoots his patented fade fade away jumper. And and the Bucks announcer sort of says half under his breath, but loud enough so that it's on the telecast. He says, miss it. And... <laughs> and Kobe did not oblige, right? So he did not. And then there's like silence, yes, right? If I remember just, right. Like, so it's like, yeah. <laughs> that string of game winners, right? So championship the previous season, a uh like just a great regular season with a bunch of like games that are that were probably closer than they should should have been, right? Sort sort of like that championship swagger of like, oh well we'll just win these at the end or we don't have to play hard every night, which I'm sure Phil Jackson just loved by the way um right but kobe (laughs) bailed them out a bunch of times and then to go on and beat the celtics in the finals that season that that's just but that stretch of game winners it's something that will always stick with me do you do you have any thoughts about any of those shots specifically no matt you you nailed it you know that shot over wade i thought it was kind of cool in wade's last season i don't know if you remember against the warriors this year he um Wade had a sh- his like a three blocked and then but the ball went like right back to him and he shot this like one footer and banked it in from the top of the key is like Dwayne Wade's last great game winning shot uh, and it re- reminded me of that shot that Kobe yes. hit over Wade that you were referring to uh, I thought that was I think cool. Wade referenced I, you know, that referenced- Kobe shot after that game oh I- did he I will have Perfect. to find yeah. the post-game interview about that because I think he said something about like either Mamba mentality or Kobe taught me. He said he he had some sort of sort of like little comment about that, if I recall correctly, where where he referenced that shot. So yeah, no, absolutely. I I feel like there was one. Maybe it was a different season against against Charlotte. Yeah, maybe it wasn't against Charlotte. Oh, there was one against the Kings where he got free yes. on the wing. And his heels were like above the sideline. Like if his heels were down on the ground, he would have been out of bounds. But it was in this stretch. And I forget Paul who Westfall. the coach was. It might have been it was Paul, Paul Westfall. Westfall. Yes. And and Kobe somehow gets open. This happens with like, with like bad teams. And so the Lakers were way better than the Kings. But it, the Lakers would BS games and like play these tight games against bad teams. And Paul Westfall is standing there with his arms folded. Kobe somehow gets free right in front of him. And he like looks down at his feet and sees that his feet are like, but he like never really moves Westfall the whole time. Kobe drills the open three to win the game. And just like the whole, like Westfall's a statue throughout all of it. I 
hadn't thought of this in years. I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, it, that always cracked me up. Like it had this like resigned to the inevitability yes. of it. <laughs> that that no, always you made know me how laugh, he so. got open. Uh, this was actually a great play design by Phil. So the ball came in. It swung, I believe, to Pal Gasol at at the top of the key, and Kobe came up from the wing and set a back screen on and i can't remember right, on whose right. man like on it, i can't recall who his teammate was who who he set this this back screen for but he set the back screen maybe for Derek Fisher to clear out and then he bumped the defender on the screen so like so hard and that defender saw sort of I don't know if it was half flop or if Kobe shoved them a little bit maybe a little bit of both right but that defender just sort of bounced off and so that's how Kobe found himself wide like like wide open if the Kings were running that right they probably just switched that right and then that player yep. stays connected yep. but Kobe really got him well with that screen and that defender just bounced right off of him, and then he found himself with like five, six feet of wide open space. Caught, caught that ball, just like you said, heels above the out of bounds line, right there on the sideline, and he just buried it. <laughs> Great shot! Yeah, just am- amazing, man. Just amazing, bro. This was so fun to take this trip down memory lane with you. Um, stick around if you're listening. Stick around for instead of our normal outro, we're gonna be piecing together uh, a lot of the radio calls and television calls of these plays and these you know these moments that we've discussed in this pod. Uh, I can't wait to work on this to to put that together. Um, some of the honorable mentions between Darius and I that we came up with: um, James Worthy's triple double in Game 7, the only triple-double of his career to close out the Pistons in Game 7 of the 1988 Finals. Powell's first game in the magic of of that in early February of 2008, right after we traded for him. Uh, Bynum's emergence earlier in that year. Lamar Odom's dunk over Birdman in the playoffs uh, against the Nuggets. Um, Nick Van Exel's game winner in the Lakers' last visit to the Boston Garden. Similar to Magic hitting that shot, Van Exel hit this turnaround you know, three from 30 feet away to and that was the last game and Dill Harris is talking crap like uh, at the end of it that's one of my favorite um, favorite ones Kobe's two absolutely ridiculous threes over the Kobe stopper Ruben Patterson to close out the the season in 2004 and there are many more you know and we didn't even get to the iconic ones your 81 point game your point four your Shaq to Kobe lob all those ones we talked about Kobe 62 Mav 61 yeah, bro. Like it's it, we're we're lucky as Laker fans, but this was super fun to do some deep cuts. Uh, you've been listening to Laker Film Room podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Stick around for the outro. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Gamble in and out. The ball is tipped. And it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?